Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to this episode of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. This is part of our special series uh, to go along with Lung Cancer Awareness Month here in November 2020. And we've got a series of podcasts where I'm interviewing specialists um, aligned to our Faces of Lung Cancer report, which we issue each year. And this year, the Faces of Lung Cancer report is highlighting uh, three particular areas. One is um, access to lung cancer screening. Uh, Secondly is around testing and access to testing uh, and modern testing for all lung cancer patients. And and the third one is around um, access to therapy, which is equitable across the country. And it's the second of those topics that um, we're gonna touch on in in today's podcast, which is around testing. And so I'm really uh, happy to be talking to uh, Dr. Brandon Sheffield, who is a thoracic pathologist, a pathologist at the William Osler um, Health Center in Brampton, Ontario, and has established really a national reputation as a leader in lung cancer pathology. So Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Um, Maybe I could uh, just start off by asking you to just briefly explain what, what your role is as a pathologist. Oh, for sure. Thanks so much, Paul. It's really great to be here, and uh, thank you for the invite. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, I'm a pathologist. Pathologist is a type of doctor. We do go to medical school, just like the surgeons or uh, internists that eventually go on to become oncologists. In a given med school class, uh, I, I went to school at the University of Toronto. There were 200 of us in that class, and about two of us in each class choose to go into pathology. And uh, what that means is we'll spend uh, five years in a residency training program, just like any other uh, subspecialist. And following that, we go to work in a hospital laboratory. And we see on average uh, 40 to 50 patients a day, but we don't actually see those patients directly. Uh, We'll look at uh, samples that are taken by other doctors, uh, typically surgeons or radiologists. We analyze those samples under a microscope And our principal job is to arrive at a diagnosis. Uh, And a lot of the time uh, we're called upon to make a cancer diagnosis versus a benign uh, condition or an infectious condition. And so that's our principal job within the hospital system. And uh, lately in, in more recent years, we've been called upon to do additional tasks, things like biomarker testing, which is where instead of making a diagnosis, We'll try and tell our uh, colleagues in oncology what type of drugs or therapies uh, would be best to treat their patients. That's a great segue to the next question, I guess, because um, you know we know as oncologists uh, that lung cancer is not one disease; it's it's a myriad of different diseases. And as an oncologist, I'm entirely reliant on on you, Brandon, and your colleagues to be able to tell me what that type of lung cancer is. And you mentioned biomarkers there. Could you maybe just sort of give us an overview of how testing for lung cancer has evolved over the last few years to identify these subtypes? Oh yeah, for sure. So when I was in training as a resident, uh, there were really two types of lung cancer. There was the small cell type, and then there was the non-small cell type. 
And we could tell the difference between them by looking under the microscope. And that's all we had to say is a small cell or a non-small cell. And oncologists knew that they had a different type of chemotherapy for each of those two different diseases. But a lot changed about uh, 15 years ago uh, when EGFR was first discovered. And that was a real challenge for us because we knew that uh, lung cancers that had a mutation in this gene called EGFR would respond very well to a special uh, type of drug, an EGFR inhibitor. And that was really challenging for us in pathology because we can't see EGFR under the microscope. And it really forced us to have to change the way we uh, look at cancer samples. And to this day, we've really had a hard time coming to grips with that because the microscope has really been the tool of our trade um, for, for over a century. And I like to joke around that the same way George Clooney wears a stethoscope around his neck, pathologists carry around a microscope and that's how you know that we're a pathologist. Um, so now we're, we're trying to provide information to patients and their oncologists that we need to get by, by looking deeper and more closely. And so we have to learn some new uh, modalities, uh, new techniques to try and see what's invisible with our microscope. And so we're now branching into things like gene sequencing, uh, which are required in order to tell our oncologists how to best treat their patients. Uh, EGFR was the first one, right? And, and um, it really led the way and it, it's hammered the point home now that we've had the discovery of additional markers. Uh, you may have heard of their uh, genes like ALK, uh, ROS, and now we have uh, close to a dozen different markers that we have to test for to make sure that every patient gets the most appropriate treatment. Right. Yeah, and we're seeing, and, and you know, I'm seeing uh, people like this in the clinic every day where we've identified or you've identified or your colleagues that I work with have identified these subtypes. So you mentioned gene sequencing there. Um, what's gene sequencing? Could you explain? Could you explain that or, or next generation sequencing is a term that maybe people have heard? Oh, absolutely. Uh, every cell in our body has a DNA inside of it. And you get half of your DNA from your mom and the other half from your dad. And it really is the blueprint for our entire body. It, it tells us when we're developing as an embryo that we should have 10 fingers and 10 toes and we should look a certain way. Cancer is a disease of the genome. And somewhere along the line, one of the cells in our body, maybe in our lung or our colon, develops a change in that code. And the cell stops following instructions and it forms a tumor. And that's the basis of cancer. So with gene sequencing, what we need to do is read that genetic code and find out what change that is so that we can target it directly with our drugs. A lot of us heard about gene sequencing about uh, in around the year 2000 when we sequenced the, the human genome. And at that time, it took about 10 years to sequence a human genome and cost a billion dollars. But today, we can sequence a genome in one day and it costs about $1,000. So we can use that power of gene sequencing to try and tell what actually went wrong in the, at the DNA level of a given cancer and translate that into the most appropriate uh, treatment for a patient. I think that's the best explanation I've heard, uh, Brandon, about um, 
uh, gene sequencing and next generation sequencing. Maybe I could ask you, um, what, what do you need to be able to do that? Can, can you, do you need a, a chunk of the cancer or are there novel ways that you could do this? Could you, could you get this from someone's spit or their pee or their blood or do you need a biopsy? So, so traditionally we need a biopsy, which is just a little piece of the tumor. And the technology is improving so rapidly all the time. When this first came out, we needed to be ready to receive that biopsy uh, and put it directly on ice and get it straight into a next generation sequencer. Now we can actually take an archival biopsy, one that was taken from uh, a patient years ago and stored on the shelf and actually perform uh, gene sequencing on that. And the latest trend is a so-called liquid biopsy. And that's where we can uh, take a patient's blood and take little bits of DNA that are uh, flaking off from the tumor and identify those as different from the healthy cells that are circulating around the blood. That's not really available in Canada in a widespread fashion right now, but it will be in the coming years. And I think that'll be a very powerful tool uh, to help us when we're taking care of our patients. Just going back, uh, just to clarify a question, uh, an answer from, from there, um, when we're talking about detecting these mutations, um, you know, sometimes there can be a misunderstanding about where the mutation is and, and the, the difference between a mutation in the in the cancer that's developed versus a mutation in, in the person's sort of own um, inherent uh, DNA. How do you tell the difference or how do you explain that? Yeah, so traditionally in genetics in medicine, we've dealt with uh, inherited diseases and all the um, legislation and infrastructure and organization around genetic testing in medicine is, is all based on inherited diseases, things like hemophilia or cystic fibrosis. It's very different practice to look at a patient's uh, cancer genetics because at some point uh, that cancer has taken on DNA of its own, which is unique and different uh, from the patient's DNA. I think a lot of the challenges that we face in uh, personalized medicine has been in decoupling cancer genetics from traditional inherited genetics. Because remember, with the genes you're born with, you're, you're born with those genes and you'll die with those genes. There's nothing really we can do to change them. And that's why uh, a lot of genetic testing takes a long time, is, is complicated reports that are difficult to understand. And with cancer genetics, we really want to change that so that we can offer very quick results that are very easy to understand. So you can decide on a treatment in the next couple of weeks. Uh, generally inherited diseases, um, you have your whole lifetime to decide uh, what you're going to do in terms of having right. kids or, or finding a partner. Right. So, well, on that then you, uh, you, know, you mentioned their speed trying to get a, a, a test result quickly. Um, what, what are the challenges with um, with this new approach of, of, of getting all of these personalized medicine and all of identifying all of these subtypes. Is, is this possible in any hospital from any pathologist in the country? So, so at the moment, no, it's not. And that's probably the basis for a lot of the difficulty that we have with cancer genetics is that these tests are only offered at select centers across the country. 
most patients are diagnosed uh, and treated for their cancer at a hospital that doesn't have access to testing. And what that means is that the specimens need to be spent, uh, the biopsy uh, tissue needs to be sent out to one of the centers that does offer the testing. And then the information in the reports needs to be sent back. And that can actually be a, a very time consuming, uh, lengthy process uh, for patients and for their physicians. Uh, so, um, and, and I, we've talked about this before, that, that 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 can take weeks and weeks for those additional steps of packaging it up and shipping it and then unpackaging it and processing it and, and, and then going all the way around. Um, what are some of the things that have worked in your center? Are there any solutions that you've come up with uh, as a team to make this effective? Yeah, I mean, so we, we started off as a center that was sending uh, these tests out to a nearby uh, academic hospital. And a lot of the testing is done in academic hospitals. And the reason for that is uh, many years ago, gene sequencers were used in research. And when they started to become relevant for actual clinical treatment, it was very easy for academic centers to borrow a lot of the equipment from the research lab, which was nearby. A lot of community hospitals don't have big research programs. So if they wanted to offer the testing, they'd actually have to go out and buy their own gene sequencer and not just uh, rent a few minutes on it from, from the research lab next door. Uh, so that's really the difficulty. And, um, but we were successful and we were able to get uh, some gene sequencing technology brought into our community hospital. And it's made quite a big difference in terms of offering uh, these results to patients and getting them in a, in a very meaningful time frame. So they just have to wait a couple of days rather than a number of weeks. Well, a couple of days. So you get a sample from uh, the biopsy and then, and, well then maybe you could explain then, do you, do you use your microscope at all anymore? Yeah, we do. It's, it's so it's a very it, it continues to be uh, probably the most important tool we use, and uh, the number one most important thing is to make sure that we're treating uh, lung cancer patients for lung cancer and that we have the diagnosis correct. And the expectation is that we're correct 100% of the time. It's it's completely unacceptable uh, to make a mistake uh, in in that front. Uh, so certainly the microscope is is still very uh, relevant and very important. What we do though, is when we we're certain someone has a lung cancer, we'll initiate that testing and elucidate uh, those changes in their DNA and make a recommendation for what type of uh, targeted therapy or immunotherapy or chemotherapy might be most appropriate. And that way the results are already there with the patient so that when they meet their oncologist for the first time, they'll be able to come up with a treatment plan. And we found that that's been um, is very helpful uh, along the patient journey, I think. So if I get this right, then you get the original sample, you still do the old fashioned look down the microscope and say, yup, this is lung cancer. And then you just walk to a different room or a different part of your own room and you and, and the sample goes into an, an, a next generation sequencing piece of equipment. Um, within a couple of days, you have a full report for the oncologist. That's correct, yeah. So most every pathologist has a different practice. Uh, in mine, I, I like to look at a, a patient sample, make a diagnosis, and then I look at it again the next day just to make sure I haven't changed my mind. It very rarely happens, but 
on that first day, when we look at a sample and decide it's a lung cancer, we'll initiate the genetic testing so that by the time we look the second day to confirm the diagnosis, all of the results are there. So what we'd like to do is not diagnose a patient with lung cancer, but diagnose a patient with EGFR positive lung cancer or ROS positive lung cancer, which is really the modern day classification of how we should be um, treating that disease. I guess that's pretty reassuring for people to listen that you have these built-in quality assurance uh, mechanisms to ensure that you're getting the right diagnosis. Maybe I could ask about this, the, 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 the equipment that you use for the sequencing. Um, are these affordable? Is it feasible for every community and academic cancer center to I, I do, do think what you're doing? Um, reasonable. Uh, so we use a, a couple of new modalities. One is a single gene test. We, it's called an ideal a PCR, and it costs about $50,000, which is actually uh, about the same amount of money we'd pay for a brand new microscope if we were to hire a new pathologist. Uh, so, you know, this, this type... It's, it's hard to mention the, the cost of these things because this isn't our personal money that we're paying. It's a, it's a hospital, it's a government institution. And a lot of the equipment that we use inside of a hospital, we'd be shocked at the true price of. Uh, so one thing I learned was that it costs about $50,000 to add a parking stall to the parking lot, or even the cost of a stretcher or a wheelchair uh, for the emergency department would be quite shocking to hit, to see the actual uh, dollar price tag on it. Uh, so $50,000 for a, a piece of lab equipment that we use every single day uh, is, is quite a bargain. Uh, and it's actually possible to get it uh, for free and to, to sort of lease it and pay a, as you go. Uh, the gene sequencer uh, that we use is a little bit more expensive. It costs about $400,000. But we think that the, that is a, actually a bargain, considering that it gives uh, results in a couple days' time, as opposed to taking uh, four to six weeks that a traditional gene sequencer will take. And, and gene sequencers are just like cars. Uh, they come in all sorts of shapes, sizes, and models. You can get one for um, $20,000 uh, right up to uh, over a million dollars. So do you have the Honda Civic, or do you have the uh, Lamborghini in oh, your- uh... the Lamborghini. The door even opens up. <laughs> um, and I guess $50,000, $400,000, you know, the, some of these become eye-watering, the, the numbers, um, but maybe there's an opportunity for, um, for us as an advocacy community or, or patient groups or, or individuals um, for those sort of capital costs is a good opportunity for fundraising and things for those. Um, I definitely I couldn't agree more. I think that um, for, uh, capital expenditures uh, in most hospital uh, systems are taken care of by the foundation and they're philanthropic in nature. Uh, so okay. if that's one area that the uh, community can really uh, rally behind uh, the physicians and the patients and, and help out with some uh, new equipment. Right, okay. So Brandon, clearly you, you've got a great setup going in, in Brampton with the these machines that you've uh, that you've brought in, the systems that you've got, you've, you've brought down the diagnostic times from, you know, four to six weeks to two days. Um, so patients are not getting sicker in that time and they're not having to go on the wrong treatment because people don't know. Um, what would your thoughts about be about how, how can we as a community ensure that lung cancer patients anywhere in Canada can get the service that you're giving them in Brampton? 
I think it's a, it's a tough question, and but we definitely would like to see that happen. We'd like to see uh, better treatment for lung cancer patients everywhere. And even here in Brampton, we're always looking to get better and, and improve upon what we're doing. I think that uh, funding is, is, a, is a big issue and we need to make sure that lung cancer uh, treatment is funded to the same degree as other diseases, now, particularly given that lung cancer is the biggest cause of cancer-related uh, mortality in Canada. I think it's great that we're seeing uh, some funding go towards uh, screening and um, education. I, I think that education will be a, a really helpful tool uh, when we try and get make ourselves better uh, lung cancer physicians. I know I'm, I'm a pathologist and very little of our training was spent on anything other than microscope work. So I think that adding a component to, to pathologist training to show them how to build biomarker programs and uh, to incorporate things like gene sequencing into our training, I think would be really helpful so that if we could have uh, specialists at every hospital who are able to look at gene sequences, uh, it would be the first step in, uh, in the right direction. That's a great answer. And I, I know you said it was a tough question, but you know, you don't get to be a guest on Lung Cancer Voices to be, be thrown softballs here. So, but that's a great point. So it's not just money and capital expenditure. And you talked about foundations supporting that, but, but also, you know, educating, uh, we, we try at Lung Cancer Canada that patients have opportunities to be educated and ask questions about different types of lung cancer and, and might they have this subtype, but but you're right, of course, that, you know, if the pathologist during their residency, and I think you mentioned at the beginning, you have a, a five-year residency, if this biomarker and next generation sequencing is a standard core piece of training and how to develop these programs, then, um, you know, that's not an immediate fix, but, you know, in the long run, that, that can only help. I think it would, that would help a lot. And I, I think that uh, just getting even a basic amount of knowledge into, uh, the general pool of pathologists would even help us interpret other uh, reports from outside institutions and can really help streamline the process for right. our cancer patients. Now, Brandon, I know you also helped with the Faces of Lung Cancer report and the um, section of that report where we talk about testing. As a charitable organization, you know, Lung Cancer Canada, we, we, we believe that all Canadians have the right to access timely testing and all of these biomarkers and it's not acceptable in 2020 for patients not to be able to receive the correct treatment because there's been a lack of related testing. I'm an oncologist who sees the 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 patient with the testing but maybe you could just comment on that from 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 the pathologist's uh, perspective is it is it right for us to demand of you that you deliver this for all of our patients? Yeah, I, I think it is fair. And uh, these are not experimental. Uh, this isn't research. Um, it's, it's not a fancy new technique that we're not sure how, how it's going to work out. Uh, these are well-established uh, and well-known uh, biomarkers with, with a very solid foundation of evidence behind them. And in other countries around the world, this is the standard of care uh, for how lung cancer is treated. So we want to see this available in Canada, not just to those uh, patients who are treated at a downtown uh, teaching hospital, but to any patient who's diagnosed anywhere in Canada. And I think it's a very reasonable to uh, demand this as a basic standard. Terrific. 
Thank you, Dr. Sheffield, for joining us uh, for this podcast. It's been terrific to learn about your whole uh, background, your training as a uh, pathologist and becoming then a specialist thoracic pathologist, uh, learning about the cost of a microscope, which is the same as some of the newer sequencing machines, which is the same as the cost of a parking lot. And um, really, I think we're all in agreement that in 2020, you know, this is not research, this is modern medicine and all our lung cancer patients from coast to coast to coast deserve this kind of level of service. So thank you very much for joining the pod. Um, if you're interested more, please go and look at the Faces of Lung Cancer report, which Dr. Sheffield is a co-author on. You can find that on the lungcancercanada.ca website. Thanks again. Thanks, Bob. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen, Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at LungCancerCanada.ca.